The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Let's go in our Bibles to uh, Psalm chapter 119. This is part two of the series that we started or not the series, but just the passage that we started last week, because here in this area, uh, this uh, letter in uh, Psalm 119, there's a lot, a lot, a lot in here. I don't know if we're actually going to be able to do everything that we got to do in here, but this is just a very, very full uh, letter here. Um, But uh, today we're going to be focusing in on uh, verse 82. What flower has been likened to a three-day-old roadkill, rotting flesh and fish gone bad. The answer is the corpse flower. I thought this article is fascinating. The corpse flower, uh, Titan Arum, if you want to know the technical word, I guess. It's native uh, to the forests that are, you know, by the equator, um, uh, mostly in Sumatra, and can grow up to 10 feet tall. Now, once opened, the spiked bright red bloom even looks like rotten meat. So this flower opens up, and it looks like rotten meat. Now, now watch this. <laughs> uh, and it's be- because of this, it welcomes, I mean, it's, they say it's like a welcome mat for insects uh, that pollinate it, flies, carrion, beetles, all, all kinds of different insects. Now, according to the University of Connecticut research assistant, Matthew Opal, the corpse flower looks like something has died. It smells like something has died, and it has the same chemicals that dead bodies produce. So the flower, however, which begins to disintegrate after two days, is nothing but a big practical joke to flies and other carrion insects. Unlike other plants that offer nectar, there is no reward here. They think they're going to get a meal because it smells like something died. Interesting. Now, I read that and I just thought, it's interesting how maybe a lot of us in a lot of ways may think the same thing when it comes to our walk here in Christianity. This might maybe be how some of us feel when it comes to the very promises of God. That there are promises that we lean on, there's promises in life that we stand on, promises that we get from scripture that we hold on to. But then We just don't seem to see any fulfillment when it comes to these promises. Now, we try to be patient waiting on God, but then we just can't wait anymore. We're we're just out of patience. You guys ever feel like that there are things where where you run out of patience? (laughs) There are things in life where you just say, you know what, I just have no patience for this anymore. Remember, me and, me and Janine, this is, we're, this is U.S. Bank is like my, my, my sermon illustration today. Me and, me and Janine sitting in U.S. Bank, and you know, we're waiting for the, the people, and they're busy and all this stuff, and we're just waiting to do this account thing. And this one guy just gets up and just says, you know what? I can't wait any longer, and he just walks out. I was thinking, Wow. Man, we just don't have patience for a lot of things anymore. We just can't wait for things anymore. You know, my mother would always tell me 
you know what, Shane? I'm running out of patience with you. I mean, it's just, that's just how it is, right? Running out of patience. We just don't have patience. We don't have patience for things, people, prospects, whatever it is. But here's the deal. Do we feel as if we're running out of patience with God? Ooh. Here we go. Here's the question. Are we running out of patience with God sometimes? Maybe we don't say it out loud. Maybe we don't call up Pastor Shane and say, hey, Pastor Shane, I'm running out of patience with God. Maybe we don't do that. But it's definitely there in some of our minds. We don't say it out loud, but we feel it. We're wondering what in the world is going on. How much longer, God, until you fulfill your promise that you made to me? How long till you comfort me? I can't wait any longer. I just don't have any patience for this anymore. See, this is common in modern evangelicalism today. It's, it's, it's not unusual in the church in our culture today. I, I have counseling sessions with people, and I had, you know, for the 30-plus years I've been in ministry, I've had these conversations with people every, I mean, all the time, like constantly. Some will feel like God has abandoned them. Come into my office, we'll talk, hey, Shane, you know what my problem is? I feel like God has absolutely abandoned me. How long, Lord, till you comfort me? Some will feel like God has abandoned them. Some will feel like God is a liar. Some will accuse God of even being a, a, a prankster, a trickster, a joker. And, you know, and that's, that's actually not uncommon. You know, I, I remember in, in, uh, when I was in Bible college, there was a professor at Bible college that was even talking to me about how his new theology that he's developing is God is the, jo the joker, the trickster, that he's up there watching all of us and playing practical jokes on us so that he can get a laugh. I, I told the dean on him. <laughs> I had to tell the dean. I was just like, okay, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but man, there's something up with this. But, but we think, hey, there's something wrong here because God seems to have made promises to me in the scriptures, but he's not fulfilling it. God, you said you would never leave me nor forsake me. That you said that I would find comfort in the shelter of your wings. That you will provide all my needs according to your riches and glory. Ask and it shall be given. And you have not, you have not because you ask not. And then we say, you know what, God, I asked. And I still have not. I thought you said your yoke was easy and your burden is light. But don't you think, and I'll say to them, don't you think God is able to bring comfort? Yeah, I absolutely do. I just don't think he will. Well, why not? He promised that he would. Yeah, well, I waited and I can't wait any longer. God broke his promise to me. And this is what I get. These are the conversations that I have. But see, family, today our scripture will help us to make sense of this very, very common dilemma when it comes to our journey and it comes to our understanding of the promises of scripture. So let's take a look at it today. Psalm 119, uh, verses 81 to 83. 119, 81 to 83. I am worn out waiting for your rescue, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes are straining to see your promises come true. When will you comfort me? 
I am shriveled like wineskin in the smoke, but I have not forgotten to obey your decrees. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to be looking at today is just, I'm just going to give us a little treatment on our understanding of the promises of God. The second thing we're going to look at is we're going to see that many of the promises of God are already fulfilled in the coming of Christ to seek and to save us. So our thesis statement is this. A thesis statement is, a, is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Those sin and the pattern of this world try to confuse our understanding of the promises of God. It is the truth that we find in the scriptures and the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see that the promises of God are truly yes and amen. We gotta believe that that his promises are yes and amen. Now again, as we go to this and as we approach this, especially when it comes to the promises of God, it's really funny how narcissistic we can be in our culture today when it comes to uh, issues that we have when it comes to scriptures. My question is always this. When we read something in the Bible like God's promise and we don't see his promise fulfilled in the way that we think that it should be fulfilled, why do we always initially go with there's something wrong with God, but never something wrong with us. Right? There's always something wrong with the scriptures, or there's always something wrong with God's doing, or what God is promising. Could it be that there's something wrong with us that we might, might have misunderstood something? So it's understanding the promises of God. So let's take a look at understanding the promises. Uh, point number one, maybe God has something better in mind. Is that possible? Is it possible that God might have something better in mind? So here it is, the promise. We understand promise to be the verbal or written commitment by a person to another agreeing to do or not to do something in the future. And our psalmist asserts that his eyes are straining to see the promises of God come true. He's straining to see the promises of God come true. The idea of straining to see, that's, that's we can comprehend that. For those of you who need glasses or contacts, you understand when he says we are straining to see. Right, glasses are coming, let me see. Yeah, I can't even see the clock. It's progressively getting worse. Um, straining to see what's true. He's training to see. But really, what this is, written by our psalmist, is this is just an expressive way to say that our psalmist has waited and waited to see God fulfill what he had promised. He wonders if he will see what God had promised. Now, I love what Charles Spurgeon had to write about this passage. He says, his eyes gave out from eagerly gazing for the compassionate appearance of the Lord, while his heart in weariness cried out for speedy comfort. To read the word until the eyes can no longer see is only a small thing compared with watching for the fulfillment of the promise until the inner eyes of expectancy begin to grow dim with hope delayed. 
we struggle with this. It's hard. And so that's what he's saying. He's like, I'm straining to see. I'm wanting to see, God, you fulfill your promise. Why are you not fulfilling your promise? When are you going to come and help me? When are you going to come and bring me comfort? So many of us struggle with this when it comes to the promises of God. And I feel like our psalmist, that when we've waited enough, we wonder about God and we wonder about his promise, and we wonder about what God is going to do when it comes to the promise. But here it is. So when it comes to the promises of God, and it comes to our struggle, there are several things that we need to consider. Let's consider one thing right off the bat, that God is always right. So if there is something that's not happening when it comes to his promise, it's not that God has failed, Maybe the issue is us. Okay, so that's consideration number one. God, you're right. I am wrong. Let's, let's try saying that. God, you're... I am... How'd that taste coming out of your mouth? <laughs> Tastes sweet. All right, Frank. Thank you. It's, it's, just, it's just a really funny thing in our culture today that this thing happens. Like, it's, it's not possible that we, we read this thing wrong. But anyway, the first of the considerations that I want us to give is that maybe we have to wait on God. And we're just not a culture that likes to wait, are we? You know, I, I, just, I just remember, like, sometimes when it comes to, to certain things, it, if you will pay more money to not have to wait. You know, one of the things that, that, that is interesting when it comes to service shops, like for me, um, like I periodically have to take my guitar in uh, to get it serviced and, and for them to set it up because it's Colorado, it's really dry, so your guitars, you know, they, they move and all this stuff, so it's really hard to keep it in tune and, and in shape. But here's the thing, I can take it in, here's the price of what it is to get it fixed, but for $30 more, we will bump you to the front of the list so that you don't have to wait. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, even, even, it doesn't matter. Like, all the service stuff, they're just making a killing off of this. So one day I asked, I asked the guy, I'm just like, how much money do you guys actually make by doing this $30 more and all this stuff? She goes, he's like, Shane, you'd be surprised. Like, pretty much 60 to 70% of the guitars that come in here, they do that. Which is interesting because if 60 to 70% of the, car, the guitars are doing that, you're moving them to the front of the line, but only to the front of the ones that didn't do the 30. So what happens when 100% of the people actually start doing this? <laughs> we don't want to wait anymore. We'll pay money to not have to wait. We will do things to not have to wait. We'll do all kinds of things to not have to put ourselves in a position where we have to wait. I mean, they're talking about, this, is, this will blow your mind. I'm reading an article. I can't remember if it was psychology today or something. There's an article I'm reading about this where people are actually suffering depression because, um, you know how like Netflix, when they used to come out with uh, the TV series stuff, they used to just, one day they used to release all 12 episodes. I think Netflix still does that, right? They still, they release all 12 episodes. But then like the Disney Channel and Hulu and all these guys, they're starting to do it every week now. So every Tuesday, 
it comes out, but then you got to wait a whole week to see the next episode. Where before, we used to get all the episodes and we just sat there one Saturday, woke up early in the morning and just was like, you know, I'm going to watch all of Squid Game today, you know. Whatever it is, whatever it is that y'all, y'all watch, whatever. But that people are suffering depression because they can't get the entire series accomplished in one weekend. And the one thing they constantly say, we have to wait a week. We don't like to wait. Some of y'all are sitting there going, oh, yeah, amen, Zane. I don't like to wait. Well, here's the thing. We don't have a choice when it comes to God. The promises, you say, have not been fulfilled, but it's just simply a not yet. This is the first one consideration I want us to consider. It's not yet. The fulfillment is still coming. We just have to be patient in waiting. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25. Lamentations 3, 25. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. Psalm 27, 14. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Wow. James chapter 5, verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, those who were patient. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See, I think sometimes in life, we're looking at our circumstances and we're looking at our situation, and we, we want to see the compassion and we want to see the mercy and love of God. And so we want God to to take care of this and we want him to do it right away. (laughs) But it's interesting. I wonder if our anxiousness for God to do something is God, we're anxious for you to do what it is that you promised or do we want God to operate because we want God to save us from our waiting. It's like, I need God, I need you to put out this fire. This fire, is this really bad? It's the situation. God, I need you to fix this. And I need you to do it now. And then you're waiting and waiting and waiting. When are you going to do this? Lord, save me from this fire. But what we're really saying is, Lord, save me from waiting. I need deliverance. But is it that we need deliverance from the situation? Or do we need deliverance from our impatience? Because we can't wait. We know we're getting it, but we can't wait. We know it's there, but we just can't do it. I, I remember when I was really young, it was like my, my mother, my aunt, uh, just everybody that was in the house had to keep me from peeking at presents under the tree. That present right there says, to Shane from mom and dad. I know I get to open this on, uh, you know, December 25th in the morning, right? <laughs> but I, I know I can, but I just can't wait. Even when we know 
Even we know God is going to fix that situation. We need God to fix it, but we need him to fix it now because I'm tired of waiting. I can't wait anymore. God, you got to do something about this. So we just have a difficult time waiting. Okay, another consideration is we have a misunderstanding of the promise. A misunderstanding of the promise. We do not understand the scripture giving us the promise. We don't understand that properly. This is really, really common. It's not even just waiting. It's really common for us to be standing on promises that we misunderstand because, again, we're looking at scripture by our own, you know, whatever our own demographic is. You're going to read the Bible the way you're going to read the Bible, and a lot of times it causes, uh, it causes people to do some interesting stuff. <laughs> We make errors in interpretation, okay? Here's an easy one. You have not because you ask not. I get this a lot. The Bible says, I have not because I ask not. So yesterday I asked the Lord for it and it didn't happen. Okay, so now we got the patience thing that we're dealing with. But he says, you have not because you ask not. And I get that quoted to me all the time. You have not because you ask not. So ask and God will give it to you. That's the idea. That's the promise. I don't understand why God doesn't fulfill his promise that he gave. I asked. He still hasn't given to me. This is what I mean by taking things out of context, reaching into the Bible, grabbing a verse, pulling it out and being like, here's my promise. James chapter 4, verse 2 to 3. James chapter 4, verse 2 to 3. This is where the scripture comes from. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and rage war to take it away from them. Watch this. Yet you have, you don't have what you, what you want because you don't ask God for it. You have not because you ask not. Take that scripture. Whoosh, here it is. There's my promise. I'm resting on this promise today. And we're asking, and it's not coming. It's not happening. We're asking, and it's not happening. And I always tell the individual, will you please finish reading? Because if you finish reading, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. It's interesting. Some people are shocked. Oh, well, well if that's true, maybe I have a bad motive. It, could it be possible that I'm wrong? That's why I say read on. Read on. Here's another one. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 8. Another one that people will claim as the promise that I'm waiting for. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. So remember, this is the common ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find, right? That's how we, a lot of us, we memorized it, right? Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, find. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now we got to remember that when he gave us this promise, it was in the middle, kind of towards the end middle, of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus just preached on the essence of being blessed. 
told everybody about what it means to be blessed. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed, you know, all the stuff that he was, he was mentioning. And then some of this stuff might have took some people by surprise. And then he tells them, you need to be salt and light in this world. Because if salt loses its saltiness, it is good for nothing. What? Whoa. Wait a minute. And then he shows that he is there to confirm the law and the heart, the inner matters that pertain to murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, eye for an eye, loving our enemies, and the responsibility to give to the needy. Then he teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how to fast. He teaches us to not have two masters. You can't serve God and money. That you're to treasure, you store up treasure in heaven, that you are not to worry, that your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees, and how you are not to judge. And then he tells them, Ask what you will, and it will be given to you. Now, after you heard all of that, and after you're just barely feeling human, Jesus says, ask what you want. And I'll be like, oh, Ferrari? <laughs> Volkswagen? Okay. <laughs> okay, Volkswagen, okay. Ferrari? New job. Money. Uh, the, the, the girl that sits in the cubicle next to me at work. The things that we're praying for. We're thinking about all of these types of things. And then you're saying, ask, and it shall be given. And you think, Pastor Shane, see, God lied to me. He said, ask, and it shall be given. I just asked for a new car. Is that too much? Do you see the context of what I'm talking about? And not only that. Not only that, so even if you were to think Ferrari, new car, girl in the cubicle next to me, all that stuff, even if you were going to think that, he goes on, doesn't he? He goes on to teach about the narrow and the wide gate, the true and false prophets, the true and false disciples, and finally, the wise and foolish builders. Context, right? How about this? I'm setting you up here, so be careful what you guys are amening. <laughs> I'm meaning you, Frank. This is a setup. It's my disclaimer. It's a setup. Here's the last one I want to bring out for us. How about the famous prosperity passage that everyone wrongly applies. This is why I tell people, stop quoting Jeremiah 29, 11, as if it's a promise that was made to us. Here it is. This is the one that you know, gets pastors fired all the time. 
Jeremiah 29, 11. You guys know this passage. You guys memorized it when you guys were in, you know, in Sunday school. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And people will get mad at me and say, Pastor Shane, God told me he had a plan for me. And his plan was to make sure that I prospered. He said, I have a plan for you, plan to prosper you, not to harm me. And we're standing there going, I'm not, being, I'm not prospering. Matter of fact, if you look at my life, I'm ex- the exact opposite of what people would say is prosper. This is prospering. I'm the exact opposite of it. Okay? I'm the exact opposite. He said he's not going to harm me. He's going to give me hope in the future, man. I got no hope. I got no future. He did not fulfill his promise to me. Do y'all know that this promise actually doesn't have anything to do with us? It has everything to do with the nation of Israel. Directly to the nation of Israel. This promise is not to you, but to the nation of Israel to give them a hope that they will not be destroyed in captivity. They were being taken into captivity as a nation. The nation was just destroyed. They're being taken into captivity and people are walking into captivity and they hear from Jeremiah the encouragement from God. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. I know it looks like your nation is destroyed. I know it looks like you as a people, you are completely gone, that you are wiped out. I know it looks like that. But let me tell you something. I have plans for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. You guys have a future. You guys have a hope. And did God fulfill that? When the decree of Cyrus came, boom! And the Israelites went back to the land and they began become a nation again. They were restored. God fulfilled the promise that he had given to the nation of Israel right here in Jeremiah 29 11. So Shane, are you saying that God doesn't have a plan for us? I'm not saying that. Just stop throwing this passage of scripture in God's face and start demanding that he prosper us. Stop getting mad at me, yelling at me because God's not fulfilling his promise that he made in Jeremiah 29 11. I tell people, like, does God have plans for us? Absolutely, he's got a plan for us. You don't need this scripture to do that, though. You can actually use the ones that actually pertain to you. Does God want us to to have a hope and a future? Absolutely, he does. You don't have to use this scripture to do that. How about just remembering that God sent his son to die on the cross for us? Again, there's other scriptures that do that. We don't have to do this one. This one has already been fulfilled when the Israelites went back to the land as a nation again. Misapplying. See how we misapply and we misunderstand the promises? So could it be that when it comes to the fulfillment of God's promises, God is right and we are wrong? Is that possible that we are wrong? Here's the last thing. The last thing is not a misunderstanding of the promise, 
but a misunderstanding of the fulfillment. Hell, here's a big one. Like God, you know, you're saying, hey God, you didn't fulfill this. You know, I, you didn't fulfill this. And, and, I, and I know, I know it's not because I misunderstood the promise because I checked with Pastor Shane. Pastor Shane said that this is right. I checked with him. He said, I'm right. But you didn't fulfill it. And God tells you, yes, I did. How do you figure? How do you figure? Misunderstanding of the promise. A misunderstanding of the fulfillment. The Lord did fulfill his promise, but it didn't happen the way that we expected. Whoa. Whoa. It didn't happen the way we expected. The gift wasn't the gift that we thought it was. But it's never, uh, repeat, it's never the way it comes out to us sometimes here on earth. God didn't give us clothes instead of toys for Christmas. You remember that? The big one from mom and dad, big gigantic box, and you open it up. You think it's like a brand, it keys to a brand new car. And then you pull out jeans. What? No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that kind of fulfillment. What we're talking about is a difference in fulfillment because maybe God has something better in mind. Let me think about Abraham. Think about Abraham. You are going to be the father of, of so many kids. It's going to be like the sand in the sea. It's going to be like the stars in the sky. He's going to have all these children. <laughs> and he died seeing a handful. What, what, he could have been standing there like on his deathbed going, Hey, God! I don't see my kids being as numerous as the stars in the sky. What about my fulfillment? What about the promise that you made to me? What about the promise that God made to Noah? What about the promise that God made to Enoch? What about the promise that God made to Abel in accepting his sacrifice? Yeah, Abel, Abel, made an amazing, awesome sacrifice in faith. Tell him what he's won, Bob. What happened? Yeah. The promise. The greatest human being that ever lived said so by Jesus. John the Baptist, the greatest human being that ever lived. Jesus said he was. He was the guy that brought in the coming of the king and he prepared the way. God made promises to John the Baptist. And at the end of his life, tell him what he's won, Bob. You think John the Baptist appreciated dying that way? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had 
promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distant distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. What if the fulfillment that we have of God's promise that he made to us is a far off fulfillment? What if the promise that he had made for us to get the temple and all the stuff, whatever the goal, the desire is like David had for the temple, did God allow David to rebuild the temple? No, but the promise was for the temple to be rebuilt. Did God have David do that? No, it was Solomon who did it. What if it was a fulfillment that you would never see, but it was a fulfillment that God had made to you that your sons, your daughters would see the fulfillment? What if it's far off? Are we still okay with that? Maybe the fulfillment that, of the promise will happen after you die. Is that okay? Maybe it's a heavenly fulfillment. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 to 26. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 to 26. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, we got to fix some of that Exodus movies, don't we? <laughs> he chose to share in the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought that it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. What if that's the promise, the fulfillment of the promise? Yeah, people are saying, well, Shane, you know, I got to wait. You know, I got to wait. Maybe, maybe I have to wait for God to fulfill this promise. Maybe I just got to wait till I'm like I'm, a, I'm an old man. And then I said, no, maybe you have to wait 50 years after you die. W what do you mean? Maybe the fulfillment is far off. Maybe the fulfillment is heavenly. There's so much more to God's promise, so much more that affects and includes so much more than just you and me. Maybe God fulfilling the promise that he makes to you is to fulfill something even greater that affects more than just you and your family, but maybe it affects the entire nation. Would that not be something awesome? Wouldn't that be something worth waiting for? Maybe we don't receive the quote-unquote fulfillment of the promise because maybe God has something better in mind. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 to 40. Hebrews 11, 39 to 40. All these peoples earned a good reputation because of their faith. Let's stop there. That's huge, right? It's always, every time I get to this, I always keep reminding ourselves. We don't take our cues from the culture. We don't allow the culture to tell us how we're supposed to get a great reputation. Let the Bible tell us. How do you get a good reputation? Be a person of faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us. So that they would not reach perfection without us. 
Maybe God has something better in mind. Maybe God has something awesome in mind that we just can't comprehend. Maybe God wants for all of us to experience perfection at the same time. Because, I mean, think about it. The promises that God had made, even the promise of Abraham, yeah, you can look at it and you can say that, yeah, Abraham's descendants are as numerous as the stars. But you know what? God's not done with that yet. There's still more descendants coming. That's why we evangelize. That's why we preach. That's why we go out. That's why we go into all the world to make disciples. Maybe there's more. God's not done with that yet. It still hasn't been completed. Abraham is in heaven. How long has Abraham been in heaven? And God is like, God, Abraham's looking at God going, hey man, is it fulfilled yet? Hey, whoa, look at all the, yeah, that's all. And God's saying, uh-uh, I'm still not done yet. I told you this was going to be awesome. And people will think, well, you know what? Well, he's, he's talking about the nation of Israel. And, and, and the nation of Israel is awesome. It's as numerous as the stars and all that stuff. But God had something greater in mind. And we see this very clearly in, Re in the book of Revelation. The very famous passage of Scripture in Revelation where he talks about the 144,000. Right? Twelve tribes of Israel. You know, so, you know, the, the, the JWs, they like to actually pick out who the 144,000 is, right? And then uh, the people, and it's just like, you know, you look at all the people, and, you know, they're blonde, you know, they got, you know, they're just mostly European. When if you take that scripture literally, he's talking about Jews. The last time I checked, I didn't, I, I mean, the last time I checked, Brad Pitt wasn't a Jew. They would look more like Adam Sandler than Brad Pitt, right? So here's the thing. Is number one, if you're going to take it literally, it's talking about the Jews. 144,000, right? Now John heard a voice, and the voice called out for the 144,000. And John's standing there, and he's, he's listening. Here's the voice, 144,000. And the 144,000 appear behind him. And this is what happens in the book of Revelation all the time. Then John turns around to look at the 144,000. And does, God, does John see 144 Jews standing there? 144,000 Jews standing there? No. He sees a sea of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's more. So much more than what we think. You may think the greatest thing that could ever happen to me, even when I go to heaven, this is the greatest I can have. I guarantee you it is infinitely greater than you think. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. God is able to do so much more. So much more. This is, this is why when Paul said that when he went to heaven... He came back and he said what? This is, this is why I, like have, I have a hard time with, with some of the people that went to heaven and they come back and tell you what they see. And it's just like, you know, they, they come back and they say, oh yeah, there was football fields. 
and the one thing that was awesome about, about heaven is like, you know, you, there was a golf course and then you play golf and every single swing you hit, every ball, it was a hole in one every single time. And, you know, the houses were this, houses, they were, you know, made out of, you know, stucco and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I would think that God would be able to do so much more than just that. Now, we think golf is a great game here on earth, but I guarantee you the games that are up there in heaven are so much better. I guarantee you that Jesus made mansions for us and he, he did better than stucco. I know he did better than stucco because he uses gold as pavement. It's so much more. When Paul went, he came back, what did he say? I saw indescribable things. You can't, he couldn't comprehend or put into words what he saw when he went, went to heaven. Family, it's so much more. God's fulfillment is so much more. And the big promise that was fulfilled that wipes away all the little promises, life and life so much more. The promise to bring life was made by Christ the Lord. He made it happen because we needed to be saved. We needed salvation. The whole of the human race was condemned in sin, condemned to hell, condemned for destruction. Do you know that our destiny was to face the wrath of God? And in the social media outreach, I'm having a private conversation with an individual. I essentially said that there are two destinies for people in this world. Those that are going to experience the love, grace, and mercy of God, and those who are going to experience the wrath of God. It's that simple. It's that simple. God didn't want us to spend eternity facing his wrath. That's why he sent Jesus to come into this world. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God in his great mercy, he had a wonderful plan. He made a wonderful promise. This is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. People will say, hey, you know what? I have nothing in this world, I owe nothing, I have nothing in this world except Jesus. Well, I got an answer for you with that. You have more than anybody could ever ask for. The promise was fulfilled. He promised to bring us life and life more abundant. We have received it. He has given us life. We have life in his name. It was not a flower. His promise was not a flower that promised that did not deliver. He is the rose of Sharon. He's the one who gave us more than we could ever ask for. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.